Um, I'm so glad you're here. We're starting a brand new series. We're just calling Stuck. How many of you ever been stuck? You ever been stuck? You, you have to say it like a southerner. You have to draw the U out. Stuck, right? You ever been stuck? Okay, okay. How many of you have ever, now be honest, confession is good for the soul. How many of you have ever ran out of gas? Come on. Oh, wow, wow. Most people have ran out of gas at some point. I, I, had, this, um, I had this really cool run out of gas thing happen to me one time. When Stacy and I were in college, we were dating, we were driving her car, and we're just running around town. And, you know, that little hand is just dropping, and I'm thinking, ah, no, we got, you know, we got time. I'm always, ah, it'll be all right, whatever, no problem. And then the little light comes on, you know, so we just keep riding. It's your girlfriend's car, you know, whatever. We'll let them take care of that, no problem. We just keep driving, keep driving, keep driving. And all of a sudden, I don't know why, I just got this impulse. I thought, you know, I, I, this thing's been, the little light's been on for a while, and it's below the E. And, you know what I'm saying? And I, I don't know how much reserve you have in that thing, so... I think I better just wheel in here, and I, I'm not, I kid you not, I, I just hit the gas, and it forces the car up into a gas station driveway, I hit the little drive coming up, I roll up by the gas pump, and the car quits, and I went, that's right, that's right, that's how we roll, however, <laughs> There have been other times it didn't work out so well. As a matter of fact, all other times it has not worked out so well at all. It, running out of gas is a helpless feeling uh, because you're, ju you're just stuck, right? N nothing's moving. Nothing is moving until you put more gas in that car. And it's an odd feeling to be sitting at the steering wheel in the driver's chair, fully dressed, ready to go somewhere, parked in the middle of a highway somewhere or whatever the side of the road because you've got out and pushed the car out of the road uh, and you just can't go anywhere it's a weird feeling to be inside something that's supposed to be going that won't go and that's what it feels like to be stuck some of you may be stuck this morning you may be stuck in a marriage or stuck in a relationship that just doesn't feel like it's going anywhere you may be stuck in a job that's draining the life out of you, or stuck in a, a habit that you can't shake, stuck in a wound, a pain that you, you've tried and tried and you just can't seem to get over it, or maybe stuck in depression and don't know how to get out of it. That's what this series is going to be about. We're going to talk about what are those places that you and I tend to get stuck, and, and how do we get unstuck. So I want to give you a little preview the next couple of weeks. Uh, next Sunday, in the second part of the series, we're going to talk about being stuck in busyness. I can't remember the last person I asked, how's it going, how are you doing, and the answer was not, I'm just busy. Everybody, everybody. I mean, I have people who retired to say, I should go back to work so I can slow down. I mean, it doesn't matter the age, it doesn't matter what's going on. I can't remember the last person in years I've asked that question, and the answer wasn't busy. We're going to talk about that next week. The third week, stuck in circumstances. What do you do when you're surrounded by circumstances that you cannot change? You've already given your best effort and nothing will move. The last week, stuck in routine. Today, though, I want to start uh, by talking about this place we sometimes get stuck that I'm just going to call emptiness. We get stuck uh, in emptiness. 
Uh, I can remember a couple of years ago, uh, our older son was on his way to, uh, he did a computer boot camp over in Atlanta after high school, and one, one weekend he was on his way back over, and 75 miles an hour on I-20, he came over a hill, and he ran a truck straight in the back. He, he just came over the hill, and traffic was at a complete stop. He couldn't stop fast enough and ran right under that uh, bumper of that big truck. Uh, and fortunately, he, he got out of the car and walked away. The car was totaled. So I went and got him, brought him back home. And uh, so now we had to figure out how we're going to get you back to Atlanta. Uh, you know, we don't have. So I, I, I was able to borrow a vehicle from a friend. I gave him our other vehicle and said, all right, now, you know, you're, you're okay. No problem. We let him rest. A couple days later, he went back, went back. So they're an hour ahead. So um, it had been a long, traumatizing weekend. You know, we're all, we're all exhausted. I'd been up late that night dealing with some other things. About 6 o'clock the next morning, he calls me and says, hey, the car won't crank. And I said, bro, that's the last car we got. <laughs> like, like, we're going through cars like bubble gum. You know what I'm saying? It, yes, it will crank in Jesus' name. You put the key in it and you crank it. It's going to crank. Tell me it won't crank. Well, well, what's wrong with it? I, I, I don't know. Well, do something. Because I mean, I'm like there and Betty woke me up, you know, an hour ahead. So I said, okay. So now time's going by. He's going to hit rush hour in Atlanta. He can't get to class. And uh, I said, look, I, I, I don't know if I need to come over there. I don't know what I need to do. Um, are, are you sure? You know, the battery cables, we did a little simple things. No, that's fine. Okay. You, so he got an Uber, went on to class. Meanwhile, I'm calling around Atlanta trying to find someone that I think could tow it in to try to find a shop that I think can take it. Finally, we make all those connections later that day. We get it towed in. The guy calls me and he says, hey, you got two problems. All right, what is it? He said, the battery cable is a little worn. He said, but that's not your real problem. I can replace it if you want me to while it's here. I go ahead and do that. He said, but your real problem is this. It's out of gas. Yeah, I'm glad it was a two-hour drive. <laughs> Had it been closer, I would have strangled me, a teenager, to death. Um, it's out of gas, okay? It's out of gas. So, so I call my son and I say, hey, <laughs> figured out what's wrong. It's out of gas. <laughs> he said, but... On the thing it says that I have, you know, whatever miles left before empty. I said, no, it doesn't. He said, yes, it does. I'm, I'm looking at it. I said, no, it doesn't. I don't care what you're looking at. You've broken it. You did something wrong. This is your fault. I just, you ever, right? Come on, parents. You know, you know, because you're older and wiser. You know in your soul. That that child has done something irresponsible and it's their fault. This is your fault and I'm, and I'm declaring it. And it's always going to be your fault. And he says, but it says right here I have this many miles to go. I said, I'm telling you, it's never done that before. You misread it. You're reading something wrong. It's not right. Well, so fast forward about a year into the future and I'm driving it.
And me and one of our pastors are heading up Highway 31 to eat lunch in Hoover. And uh, I'm thinking, well, it says I've got, you know, 40, 40 miles left before it's empty. And I don't want to cross the highway to get gas and then try to come back over. So I'll just go eat, and because there's no gas stations on this side, I'll just go eat, and on the way back, we'll stop and get gas. What's 40 miles? I mean, I, it's not 40 miles. So we get uh, pulling out of a red light, and it dies. And I said, what is this? We never had any problems with this vehicle. Forgotten, see? And I go to crank it, nothing. And me and one of our staff are out in Highway 31 pushing the thing off into the grass when a kind man comes behind who went to our church, happened to see us, hey, Pastor, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, I'm part of this new workout program. We just push our car to the restaurant. So we'll get in shape and eat less at the same time. It's beautiful. You should try it. No, I'm, I, I think I might be out of gas. I'll try that first. So I went around to the little gas station, and I think I bought something stupid like a $10 gas can. You know, that holds one gallon, you know. So I went around and bought that, put it back in, and sure enough, it worked. So dinner was interesting that night. I said to my son, so remember that time? That uh, you thought you ran out of gas? I think you might have. I'm, I'm so sorry. I think you did read it right. And I, you know, I kind of had to eat a little, a little humility there. But um, it's not a good feeling to run on empty. But we've all done it at some point or another. And we've all had some sense of emptiness inside of us. Jesus once met a person who was empty. She had a very complicated past. She had likely suffered a lot of rejection personally and publicly. And uh, one day she met Jesus and it changed her life. And I just want to share that story with you this morning. John chapter 4, I want to read a few verses to just uh, introduce her to you. Now, speaking of Jesus, he had gone through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, so it's hot. He's traveled a while. He comes to this little well. He sits down there. He's tired and thirsty. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Uh, Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, Wait a minute. You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And in uh, parentheses it says, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There are a lot of things that you and I can learn from Jesus meeting with a Samaritan woman about uh, what it's like to be stuck in emptiness. Because certainly she was stuck in emptiness. So I want to give you a few thoughts this morning. And if you want to uh, take notes... Uh, I'd encourage you to do that. It's totally fine if you don't. You'll just go to heaven later than the rest of us. But outside of that, it'll be no problem at all. Number one, Jesus will cross all barriers to meet you. See, this is what happened. Jews did not go into Samaria. In fact, when Jews had to travel and came to the border of Samaria... Oftentimes, they would go around it. I brought you a little map this morning so you could see 
So here's Judea, here's Galilee. Jesus in this story was actually on his way back to Galilee from Judea. And rather than just going straight, you can see that, uh, they would oftentimes take a right right here, cut across the Jordan River, go, go up the riverbank, and then cut back across because they were so, um, they despised Samaritans so much, they, they didn't want to have any kind of encounter with the Samaritans. So they would just avoid the whole country. So, so Jesus has already crossed a barrier by walking through this country. He walked directly through it. Now, by the way, that would add about two extra days onto your trip. That, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of hatred, isn't it? You'd walk two days out of your way. Man, I imagine all the things that I do just to avoid red lights. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to speed up. They live in a whole different culture then. The, uh, the, the second thing, though, is this lady was a Samaritan. Now, that creates a whole other uh, amount of problems. Jews despised Samaritans because Samaritans were a mixed race of generally broken people who had mixed the Jewish religion with other beliefs and had really created a cult-like religion. And so the Jews were saying, you, you have ruined this thing that God tried to start purely in Jews and purely in the Jewish religion. You've mixed with people that weren't Jewish in your families, you've had offspring, you've mixed all of that, you've mixed beliefs with this belief. So they, they, they had no um, patience whatsoever with Samaritans. So th this fight had been going on for about 450 years, and by the time Jesus came along, it was at a fever pitch. And, and you can't imagine uh, the t how high the tension was uh, so much so that Jews wouldn't even generally talk to Samaritans. But here Jesus is in Samaria, sitting at a well, carrying on a long conversation with this Samaritan person. Here's another barrier that Jesus crossed. He also crossed uh, uh, another barrier, and that is that she's a woman. Now, it would be impossible for us to understand the cultural ramifications of Jesus sitting and talking to a woman about these things in our day and age. But in their culture, Jesus is a teacher, and teachers did not have these kind of conversations with women ever. And so here's another barrier that Jesus crossed. See, he, Jesus went to the wrong place, he talked to the wrong person with the wrong background, and why did he do that? Why did he do that? Because to Jesus, there are no wrong people. That's what he was telling her, right? There are no wrong people. Jesus loved her, and he wanted to change her life, and he was willing to cross any barrier to do it. What, what about you today? Do you have any barriers in your life that you think Jesus won't cross? Maybe, maybe you say, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up going to church. I, I don't know a lot about all of this. Maybe you say, I'm not really a church person, or I haven't been to church in a long time, or maybe even ever at all. Maybe someone somewhere along the way in a church hurt you. Maybe at a vacation Bible school, or a camp, or a kid, or a youth class, or maybe as an adult. Maybe someone somewhere hurt you. I, I was talking with a friend who I haven't seen in years, who was, uh, whose family I love dearly. 
And uh, she was catching me up on how her mom and dad were doing and all of that. And her mom and dad were pastors at a church. They were on staff, and they had a really terrible ending there. And it hurt them so bad. I haven't seen them in years. It hurt them so bad, she told me, they have not been to church in 11 years. And it just, I love them so dearly. They're like family. And it just broke my heart. And I thought, I believe that Jesus will cross even that barrier if we'll give them a chance. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you've just done some bad stuff. And you say, I don't think God can help me. I think after what I've done, like I don't really, this is a nice thing, but it's not really for me. You know, I believe that Jesus will cross that barrier if you'll give him a chance. The question's not, will Jesus cross the barrier? The question is, we give him a chance. So as the, as the conversation went on, Jesus and this Samaritan woman had this fascinating conversation about water. We won't read all of it. It's a long story. But Jesus talks to her about giving her eternal water. He's saying water for the inside. Not water for the body, water for the soul. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about um, a, a relationship with him. To feel the emptiness inside of her, but she doesn't understand. And it's almost like that old Abbott and Costello routine, who's on first. He says water, she hears water. She says water, he hears water. They're having two different conversations. They just keep passing each other. He's saying eternal water, and all she can hear is water. And so in verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. She was probably a half mile to a mile outside of town. She probably went to that well because she was not welcomed at the other wells closer to town. And she's thinking, this is such a long walk, Just let's just get on with it. Get, I didn't know there was some magic, you know, Willy Wonka water that I could get, and I don't have to come down here to this dumb well anymore. Let's get on with it. Give me the water already. That's what she's saying. So he says to her in verse 16, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've, you've had five husbands. Uh-oh. And the man you now have is not your husband. Double uh-oh. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Right? Doesn't take a, a long, does it? Jesus will cross any barrier to meet you, number two. When you meet Jesus, you find out how empty you are. You would think that a woman who had had five husbands and was living with a sixth man would realize something was wrong. But you know what? I've worked with people for a long time, and I've been a person for a long time. And it's interesting the things that we can go through, and we don't know the weight of it because we're buried so deep in it. You would think it would be clearer. Because we're so busy, we seem to live in this unawareness of this emptiness inside of us until a moment like this. When this lady met Jesus, it's like her eyes opened and she said, I've been searching for something my whole life and I just didn't know it till right now. I just didn't think about it. It's an odd paradox, but the first thing that happens to us when we meet Jesus is we discover how empty we are. And it takes a meeting with Jesus to see it 
because it's really hard to see. And the reason it's hard to see is because we tend to cover it up. We cover it up with, you know, as we said, busyness. Just go, 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 go. The next thing, the next thing in school and homework and job and family obligations. And, you know, go, go, go. Go do the next thing. We're just busy. We cover it up maybe with our position. This is my job title. This is I'm the boss, I'm the this, I'm the supervisor, I'm the whatever. And we, we receive that, uh, that title as an identity. We cover it up with accomplishments. Well, I've done this and I've done this and I've met this goal and I've sold that and I've bought that and I've arrived at this place. So we cover it up with a, with a drive for wealth. That if we can just acquire enough things, somehow or another, it will fill us on the inside. I want to read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and I want to read a, a, a long part of it, but I'm going to read it out of the message, and I, I think it'll uh, be easy to follow. Uh, uh, Song, uh, Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived on the earth, King Solomon, he wrote about this thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. This isn't a new thing. It's been around as long as humans have been around. Listen to what he said. I said to myself, <laughs> self, let's go for it. Experiment with pleasure, have a good time, but there was nothing to it, nothing but smoke. What did I do I think of the fun-filled life? Insane, insane. My verdict on the pursuit of happiness, who needs it? With the help of a bottle of wine and all the wisdom I could muster, I tried my level best to penetrate the absurdity of life. I wanted to get a handle on anything useful we mortals might do during the years we spend on this earth. See, he's empty. He's looking for something, for meaning. Oh, I did great things. I built houses. I planted vineyards. I designed gardens and parks and planted a variety of fruit trees in them, made pools of water to irrigate. He made a water park. It's incredible, wet and wild. I bought slaves, male and female, who had children, giving me more slaves. Then I acquired large herds and flocks larger than any before me. I piled up silver and gold, loot from kings and kingdoms. I gathered a course of singers to entertain me with song. He just built his own concert for himself. And most exquisite of all my pleasures, voluptuous maidens for my bed. He had 1,000 wives. That's one a day for over three years. Must have been young. <laughs> Verse 9. Oh, how I prospered. I left all my predecessors in Jerusalem far behind, left them behind in the dust. What's more, I kept a clear head through it all. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse, held back nothing. I sucked the morrow of pleasure out of every task, my reward to myself for a hard day's work. Then I took, after all this, then I took a good look at everything I'd done. I looked at all the sweat and hard work, but when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. Smoke and spitting into the wind, there was nothing to any of it, nothing. This has been around for a long time. I, I, I keep wondering when in our country we will look at, at these, uh, these kids we snatch out of high school hallways 
uh, and we jam them up into the entertainment and athletic world and, and we give them a hundred million dollars and more fame than anybody could imagine and we watch them blow their own lives up and when will we say, oh, I guess this isn't the answer to life. Maybe that won't fill the emptiness. We're tempted to misunderstand this Samaritan woman because we read this story through our own culture. And we're tempted to think that she's just a woman that bounces from man to man to man to man. But the cultural rules and the laws of her day would not have allowed her, made it nearly impossible for her to initiate divorce. She didn't divorce these men, they divorced her. She wouldn't have been allowed to. So maybe the story's a little bit different maybe than it looks. Also, it would have been difficult for a single woman to thrive in a broken culture. So it would have been very natural for her to continue to seek a spouse out just for security. Maybe some of her husbands died. Maybe some had abandoned her, at least rejected her. One thing is clear, she had had a very difficult life. And now the man she's living with is not her husband. Maybe out of her own emptiness, she's just giving up. And just took the next guy that came along. Instead of hearing Jesus say to her, I know all about you. You're that wild woman who's had five husbands. I know about you. God knows about you. That's how we tend to hear God's voice. Isn't it? I know what you've done. Don't try to hide. Don't try to pretend. We hear God's voice in these angry tones of, 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 of judgment. But maybe we should hear Jesus saying to her, Dear woman, I see through the outer layers into the emptiness of your heart. I see that you're thirsty. I see that you've been wounded and I see that you've been rejected. And I see that you've given up. Let me give you eternal water. He's not judging her. He's inviting her. He's not mad at her. He loves her. He cut all the way through a foreign country to head right to her. He's violated all these barriers. Sometimes emptiness is difficult to see in other people. And it's nearly impossible to see in ourselves. But um, emptiness takes on many forms. Sometimes we feel it as loneliness. Sometimes we feel it as um, anxiety or boredom, the feeling that something is missing, a lack of direction or a lack of purpose, a lack of meaning. In its worst forms, we may even feel it in depression or in hopelessness. But, but when you meet Jesus, you find out how empty you are. He, he helps not to hurt, not to judge, not because he's mad. He tries to peel back some of those layers so you can see how thirsty you are. Because he has water. <laughs> and, and maybe just coming to church today has stirred something in your heart. Maybe you have a feeling like something's missing. This woman drank the water that Jesus gave her. Not the water in the well. She drank the eternal water. And then she ran back into town to tell everybody what had happened. Look at verse 28. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
She says, he told me everything I ever did. Isn't that, isn't that something that she would, you know, was it a small town and everybody already knew everything she'd ever did? That's not something that we generally say with pride. Hey, he told everybody all my worst secrets. But there's some kind of relief that's come to her. There's some kind of joy that's come to her. There's some kind of freedom that's come to her. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Do you see what's happening? Because this woman's meeting with Jesus, she becomes a believer. Many people in that town become a believer. And even other people, we don't even know who they are, became believers. So here's the last point. When you meet Jesus, you find out how full your life can be. You, this meeting with Jesus might hurt a little bit because it causes you to look inside and say something's missing. But in the end, man, it fills you. See, Jesus has a plan for your life. It's that you would be full. That's Jesus' plan. In John 10, 10, he says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. God has a plan for your life, and it's that you have a full life. That you would live with fullness on the inside. Yesterday, or, or Friday, I had the um, joy to be over at the hospital visiting a family in our church who just had a baby. And uh, we were talking a little bit in the hospital room. And um, he said, you know, I, I really don't have much of a church background. Um, I, my family was sort of in and out, mostly out. And... Um, I, I just, uh, th they found Jesus here at Kingwood and have been with us for several years now, a few years. And she said, well, I didn't have a church background at all. And I've never known, you know, this kind of life. And we're standing there talking a little bit. And he's holding his little, you know, day-old baby son. Uh, he's a former Marine. <laughs> tough, tough guy. And I'm looking at him, and I watch a tear roll down his cheek. And I said, hey, uh, why, why, are you, why are you crying right now? What are, you, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? And he said, you know, in my life, um, I've gone down a lot of wrong roads. And, um, and I want this with my son to be different. I want him to have a different life than I had. And he said, I'm so grateful for what God's done in my life and for our church family. And, and uh, as, he, as he looked at him, he said, I've gone down a lot of those wrong roads, and I know, this is his exact words, he said, I know they lead to emptiness. And he said, I want to be there for my son to tell him that. I didn't have anybody there tell me that. And I want to be there to tell him that. And I want it to be different. And, and, and I looked at him, and I thought, see, this is God's plan to have a full life, not an empty one. And, uh, and he sent me a picture, I'll, I'll show you the picture, and uh, this is the picture of their son, B but, but listen to the message he sent with it. He said, we must be setting a good example, he's already learning to pray. <laughs> Looks like he's praying, doesn't it? I'm going to ask our uh, worship team to come. Do you know, um, if you were to read in John chapter 4, you would hear as much as we know about this Samaritan woman. You, we, you would hear the end of the story, I guess we'd say. 
But there is a little bit more we know about the story that's not in the Bible. So imagine this. You have this woman who's had five husbands, is living with a man who's not her husband. She meets Jesus, discovers her emptiness, and then drinks this eternal water that Jesus came to give her. And now she has a full life. She goes back into town. She tells everybody. And a wave of them drink the same water. You know, they, they start a relationship with Jesus. And it just echoes through that little Samaritan town. And here's what church tradition tells us. You ready for this? Church tradition tells us that that Samaritan woman became the pastor of the first church in Samaria and became the pastor of the church in the village she lived in. You believe that? Wrong place, wrong person, wrong background. But she went from a life of deep emptiness to a life of deep fullness. Because that's God's plan for our life. And this woman who a rabbi shouldn't even be talking to, church tradition tells us is pastoring people. And saying, you have to meet the person that I met. Because <laughs> he, he filled my life. He took me from a place of emptiness and he made me full. He took me a place of sadness and he gave me joy. He took me from a place of guilt and he gave me grace. <laughs> and when we were singing earlier and we were talking about as God's presence changed your life, that's what we were talking about. And I wonder this morning how many of you are at a place that maybe you felt a little whisper. Maybe as we sat and talked this morning, somewhere throughout the day, you felt this little stirring inside you to say, you know, maybe there's more. Maybe there's something missing in my life. And I, I want to give you an opportunity to pray today. So would you, would you just stand with me where you are? And I, I want to ask um, if everyone in the room would close your eyes and open your heart. I want, I want to pray with you. This is, this is the most important part of the day. So here's my question for you. Do you have a real relationship with Jesus? I, I'm not asking how you were raised or what you did good or what you did bad or if your grandfather, your uncle was a pastor or whatever. You might be super familiar with the church you might be super unfamiliar with the church. has nothing to do with religion. has nothing to do with denomination. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's a very simple question. Do you have a real relationship with Jesus? That's what I'm asking. And this morning, if you've felt a little bit empty, maybe it's time... Maybe it's time to give Jesus a chance. Maybe it's time to drink from a different well. Maybe it's time to give Jesus a chance to see if he can fill your life up. So with every eye closed, what I simply want to do is I want to pray a prayer with you. Okay? Right where you are. And if you say, 
I feel empty, I don't have a real relationship, or maybe you say, I did at one point, but I'm not sure I do now, and I want to I start a real relationship with Jesus, or I want to restart a real relationship with Jesus. I just want to pray with you right now, and right where you are, if you'll just pray with me, okay? I'll give you some words, and if you just pray them with me, the words don't do anything unless it's in your heart. And so, let's just pray together this morning. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. I ask you to forgive me for all my sin. Lord, I'm asking you to help me receive you. I give my life to you today. I want to start real relationship with you would you give me the strength to walk with you with every eye closed here's what I want to ask you to do if you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart and you believe that you are starting or restarting a relationship with Jesus. Right where you are, I just want you to lift your hand so I can see it. Nobody else looking around. I just want you to lift it up. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you in the back, the middle. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you in the very in the side. Thank you. Yep, thank you. Just looking on the floor right now. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I see it. You put it back down. Just looking on the floor still. Thank you. Yeah, in the balcony. Thank you. In the, I'm looking. Thank you. In the, I see you. Yeah. Somebody else in the balcony. Somebody else. Right, here, here's what I, I want us all to do. With every eye closed, I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come now this morning. I think there are a lot of needs in this room, and we want to pray for you today. So with, with every eye closed, if you lifted your hand and said, I prayed, I prayed to start a real relationship with Jesus. In just a minute, when I call you, I want you to come to one of the prayer team and say, hey, I prayed to start a relationship with Jesus. Would you pray with me that God will help me to live this relationship with Him? That's all I'm asking you to do. So if you lifted your hand, Right now, what I want you to do is go ahead and look, open your eyes, and look at one of the prayer team. Just pick them out, who you want to come pray with in just a minute. I want you to come and say, would you just pray with me? Would you pray and ask God to help me? I want, I want, to, I want to live this new relationship. It's not just a moment, it's a new life. Some of you are here, and you might be like this Samaritan woman. You might have given up. You might have given up on God, you might have given up on church, you might have given up on life, you might have given up on your marriage, you might have, you might have given up, you might have given up on yourself. And can I tell you today, God's heart is for you, and in a minute when I ask you to come for prayer, if you've given up, I just want, if you've given up in some area or something, I want you to come, and I want you to let our prayer team pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you have a need in your life, a chronic need that you just can't seem to
to meet. No matter what happens, this aching need just goes on and on. It might be physical, it might be financial, it might be relational, but you have this need in your life. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to come to the prayer team and just let them pray for you because here's what we believe. God's presence changes lives. You never have to be embarrassed or shy about asking for prayer. We all ask for prayer. And if you're at a place that you need prayer today, I want you to bring that need to prayer. I want you to bring that need to Jesus. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to do anything weird. We're just going to pray for you and let Jesus meet you where you are. So if you have a need this morning, would you just lift your hand and let me see it? See, I have a need today. I have a need today that I need Jesus' help. Maybe you're here and you say, I've given up on something. Come on, would you just lift your hand and say, if I'm honest, I've given up on some stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But here's what I want you to do. I'm going to start to pray for you, and as I do, I want you just to look at the person next to you and say, excuse me, can I, can I get past you? I want to go for prayer. So if you lifted your hand for any of those reasons, I want you to begin to find your way to a prayer team member right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you today that your presence changes lives. I thank you that as we meet you, these meetings change things and they change us and they change the reality we live in. So Lord, we ask you today as we come for prayer that you would meet us here in this moment and you would change our life. Come on, I've lifted your hand. I want you to come right now. If you lifted your hand, I want you to come right now. The worship team's going to begin to sing, and as they do, I want you to come right now. We want to pray for Are you. Are broken within? Come on right now, don't wait. Overwhelmed by we want to pray for you.
I'm so glad you came today. And I want to just say this to you before we dismiss. You know, I've been where you are. If you're new or outside or empty, man, I've been there. And if you're just struggling inside or you, you've been given, you're about ready to give up or you feel an emptiness, I, I want to encourage you when we dismiss, we'll let everybody go and maybe if you feel a little more comfortable, then I'm going to ask our prayer team to stay in place. We want you to come. Here's why. Man, there's hope. <laughs> there's hope for you. There's hope in your situation. And God wants to give it to you today. You just have to give Him a chance. So I'm just going to sort of pray over lunch and let us go. And um, then our prayer team will stay. And if you want to meet with somebody, we'd really love to meet with you and pray with you. Lord, thank you for an incredible day. I thank you for um, all the people that have served today to make today happen. And I thank you for um, your presence and the way that you've been here ministering to us and encouraging us. Lord, I pray today for the lonely and the hungry heart that you would fill that person with all the fullness of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll go out the back door.